Hello, I'm Simon from Kent Libraries and this is On The Books, the library show born out of lockdown that talks about all things written word. Thoughts, ideas, inspirations and much, much more. So, sit back, relax and enjoy the conversation. Today we're joined by Joseph Coilo, award-winning poet, children's author and now resident of Kent. Hello <laughs> Joe. how are you doing? I'm good Simon, how are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you, I'm very well. Just getting on with the, the daily grind, as it were, but it's all very good. <laughs> right. So I suppose we should really sort of talk about poetry and, and reading and, and everything like that. Um, when did you discover the libraries? Well, um, I, I was very fortunate in that growing up, we always had a library very nearby. So I grew up in, in Wandsworth in London. Uh, first in Roehampton, which which was Europe's biggest council estate at one point, um, and then on, on West Hill in uh, Wandsworth Town. And both times, we just happened to be next door to a library. And my mum would take myself and my little sister in there regularly. I would take part in the summer reading uh, challenge, which was slightly different back then, wasn't it? It wasn't like as huge as it is now. It was kind of more kind of done in individual libraries. Um, but I remember having a token on a board in, in West Hill Library, which is sadly now closed. Um, but I would move my token along each time I'd read a, a Roald Dahl book. I think I read six Roald Dahl books in a row. But that really got me kind of into reading because I, I struggled with my literacy. Um, I went to quite a few different schools so, um, during my primary years. And so I was a bit behind my peers. Um, but things like the Summer Reading Challenge and having libraries nearby like really got me caught up um, and meant that I could discover a love, a love for reading and, and books and, and words. I suppose the question I'm going to, I'm always fascinated with when, when it comes to creative people is I tend to find that there's a moment or a book or a set of books that, that something goes click. So do you know, uh, what book would you say changed your life or made you go, wow, I want to do that or something like that? That's, that's such a great question. And um, it was actually, not this exact book, but dictionary. <laughs> hey. I've I fell in love with uh, a dictionary. I remember my grandmother my uh, gave me her old thesaurus and dictionary. So, and I don't have them anymore because they, they literally fell apart. Like when I got them, the the dust cover was off and all <laughs> the, the spine was split. But I loved those books, and I remember kind of going through my GCSEs and my A levels. Constantly, I'd get home from school and I would just flick through and search for new words. And then I'd try, try out the new words the following day with my peers, often uh, pronouncing them wrong, being a South <laughs> you know, and then having some of my peers correct me on the pronounce, correct pronunciation. So I'd go home again that night, go to the dictionary, and, and I discovered the um, pronunciation guide that you get. In <laughs> yeah. So I actually learned how to, yeah, all the different symbols, all the different sounds, how to pronounce these new strange words. But I fell in love with, with words and that got me onto writing poems. I started experimenting with the words, writing poetry, and then trying to get, you know, the kids in my drama class to read them. <laughs> so very shyly saying, you should read this poem. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a dictionary. And I, I now collect dictionaries because there's loads of different types. Like I have one here. Okay. A dictionary of superstitions. Um, so there's loads of different types of dictionary dictionaries. So I, yeah, I love them. Yeah, most people would think of the dictionary as being something quite 
boring but actually you're right it's got everything it's a gateway to absolutely everything once you start yeah. learning the words okay so on that note i have to ask do you remember the word that you mispronounced the most most egregiously the most horribly uh, <laughs> i remember um oh god uh talking oh i was looking for new words for arrogance i remember going into school and saying to a peer oh there was a thing, there was a thing in my class where a lot of the kids would like, be like, oh, that's so arrogant, that's so arrogant. it became a thing. You know, like, how, I don't know why, I can't remember what the context was, but it was just like, everyone was saying arrogant. I thought, right, I'm not going to use the word arrogant. I went into class and the next time someone said it, I was like, there's so many other words. There's uh, vainglorious and uh, there's another word. What was it? There was another word. It might have been vainglorious. I think I mispronounced vainglorious and... Yeah, I was quickly put in my place. So it's vain glory. I've always said vain. My one I remember, I read it first. It was, it, and I read it as hyperbole. And it took me oh, yeah. years to find out it was hyperbole. hyperbole. <laughs> but it, that's such a wonderful word, isn't it? Like, but hyperbole, I think, is a great. Change it to hyperbole from now on. Yeah. <laughs> Poetry then. So you you started writing when you were in school. Um, you, you were, apparently one of your earliest memories is of around eight of writing poetry. Yeah, yeah. I just kept writing um, and doodling. I actually just found an old an old notebook from like my, my later years in school, <laughs> and it's got like notes in here from lessons and and then just a ton of of terrible poems. <laughs> but yeah, I just kept writing. I just kept writing poems and and collecting notebooks i've got a ton of notebooks actually behind me here which i just haven't been able to get rid of <laughs> yeah i've got like i've had tens and tens of notebooks just filled with poems and thoughts and feelings um and i found it a wonderful way to a wonderful release it's a great way to express myself to write down how you're feeling and, and especially i think in your teens or just when, when you're younger there's a lot going on you're learning about yourself you're learning about your feelings and emotions and poetry can be a great way to sort of record that that process that process but also to help you figure out what you're feeling why you're feeling it, it can be a very healthy way of navigating what, what can be you know a, a challenging wonderful wonderful <laughs> but a challenging time <laughs> poetry sometimes gets i wouldn't say a bad rap but it's not the thing that people think of first when mm. uh, which is i don't know where that comes from i mean i loved poetry when i was studying it in school but but a lot of people go not entirely sure, but you do performance poetry. Is that is that right? Yeah, um, I I started out as a predominantly a performance poet. So I I was involved in youth theatre at Battersea Arts Centre, and then saw a sign for a performance poetry course led by Apples and Snakes, and I'd never heard of performance poetry as a thing. Mm. Um, it was just I knew I wrote poems, and I would sometimes you know try try and read them to friends and stuff, but. I found this whole community of performance poets. And then all of a sudden I was, you know, I did a, a my first course was a 10 week course with the wonderful poet Aoife Mannix. Yep. And we'd be writing poems. Um, I think, I think it was every, every Monday night, every Monday night, like seven till nine, we'd write poems. And then on the last Thursday, there was a big performance. People would come and pay to see us and other poets perform. So it was a bit of a baptism in fire, but, <laughs> But wonderful and then I just got hooked I 
ha- I still have a very great, uh, good relationship with apples and snakes. And um, we, you know, I would be doing gigs with them up and down the country, did a few yeah. kind of uh, performance, spoken word theatre shows with them. Um, yeah, and it, it, that rolled into everything else. It was kind of that relationship with apples and snakes, doing performance poetry, which got me into going into schools yeah. and performing my poems in schools, which got me into writing for children, which has yeah. now led to me being, being a children's author. Where did your inspiration come from for, your, for your, that moment where you were like, this is what I want to do, and, and your, I say your first book. Oh, my first, yeah, so my first book, which was, this There one, we go, uh, we have it on which, the shelf here. Oh, uh, brilliant, oh uh, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, which, you know, did, I mean, this, this book ch- changed my life, as, you mm. know, because it totally opened the world of publishing up to me. Um, but I've been, so I was a performance poet, I'd been working in schools, I think because I was writing funny poems, yeah. at first for adults, but a lot of them were kind of family, you know, and so I'd get asked to go into schools to do funny poems, because kids like funny poems, but yeah. I quickly realised kids do like funny poems, but they like lots of other things as well. Yeah. So over the years, I was amassing this collection of poetry for children that I'd been put, literally performing for years in schools. Um, and yeah, it's about 12 years that I'd been performing in schools, mm. building up collection. And then I started going to the London Book Fair to meet yep. editors and publishers. And I met Janetta Otterberry, who edited and published this book with Francis Lincoln. And I said, I've got all these poems. And you know, I'm try- I've been trying to get them published with you know, no success. And we had a meeting and yeah, it got published. Um, and it was great to have those 12 years kind of consolidated into a book. And then luckily that won the CLP Clipper Poetry Award, which yeah. meant it opened the door for you know, publishers thinking, oh, maybe, maybe he can write other stuff. <laughs> maybe he doesn't just write poetry. <laughs> so yeah, that it, it, yeah it, and it, it's been nonstop since, which has been amazing. And I'm now my, well, I think my 14th, 15th and 16th book come out yes. in the next, the next two months. And how, how, how goes the, the, the uh, production of the 16th book? Is it all, all going well? Yeah, well, it's because you're always working like two years in advance. So I'm, yeah, like all done and dusted, uh, all written. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, yeah, and um, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been great. I've j- just finished one actually, which was quite a quick turnaround um, in response to the, the kind of lockdown situation and COVID called Thank You, which comes out with Francis Lincoln on the right. 22nd of September. Um, so that's been like my most kind of recent one. But then saying that, I'm, I'm working on books now, which are, will be coming out in 2022, yeah. 2023. So it's a kind of ongoing process of wearing different hats because sometimes I'm working on picture books, which I have been most recently, but I've got two much longer like YA uh, novels that I'm working on. So you kind of got to switch age range and hat <laughs> and headspace how how do you do that do, 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 is it literally you just have to just focus on what you're doing at the time or do you find it blending into each other but when you're trying not to it's funny like um yeah like you, it is definitely a different headspace i mean just because of you know the words you can use and the yeah, things you can yeah. are very different but then there are kind of surprising uh, synergies um and you, you kind of find that thematically things will crop up so I, I tend to write a lot about libraries libraries always tend to sneak their way into my work and yeah from Luna Loves Library Day which is my first picture book which features a library and my uh, most recent kind of 
older poetry collection, the, the Girl Who Became a Tree, is set in a library. Yeah. Even though it's 12 plus and Luna is for four plus, three, four plus. So it's, yeah, you, you start to notice that there are themes and things that you return to, but in, in very different ways. I, I, I suppose your inspiration must come from various sources. Um, so I, I'm, I, I always like to ask this sort of question um, because obviously when you're learning to write and you're, you're, you're looking at writing, you read widely. That's how you learn to write. So I have to ask, what author or authors inspire you as a creative person? Oh, wow. Um, David Almond is a great inspiration. I think his writing is brilliant. Um, I, I really love Patrice Lawrence, mm-hmm. like uh, Orange Boy and Indigo Donut. I think are fantastic books. Um, I also read a lot of nonfiction. So yeah. I, I tend to dip into a lot of kind of layman science books. Right. Yeah, about quantum, making quantum physics simple and things like that. Um, yeah. I most recently read um, a, a kind of collection of essays uh, edited by uh, Jim Alkalaley. Mm-hmm. about aliens about the right. science behind aliens they're talking about seti the search for extraterrestrial uh, intelligence uh, and that was really fascinating just talking about the likelihood of life in you know across the universe and so, so th- things like that i find if i'm writing like for example if i'm writing poetry mm-hmm. i tend not to write poetry if right. i'm writing picture books i tend i tend to i read those things but not whilst i'm writing them yeah. um because i find i need a different kind of uh, inspirational route uh, when yes. because that, that's why I find you can get m- more original ideas and it takes you away from writing the same sort of thing that everyone else because there's always a zeitgeist going on and oh, no yes. matter what you do you end up hitting it at some point <laughs> so <laughs> as, as much as possible I try to actively keep away from the zeitgeist I've seen your shelves behind you so I do mm-hmm. like to because my bookshelves are a disaster but <laughs> Do you organise your bookshelves? Or if you do, how do you organise them? Uh, by height. Put my right. Very, <laughs> by, uh, yeah, not very good examples here. All my picture books are like by height. I did for a while coordinate them all by um, colour, which was great. <laughs> but then I've realised, like, you know, I just, it, it became such a mix. Yeah. Of like, you know, fiction with non-fiction. And so I've got a bit of a system where I have kind of non-fiction and fiction in sort of this corner i've got all my picture books behind behind where you are now yeah. <laughs> um all my poetry is in is in one one billy bookcase <laughs> so it's yeah it's um got height height. <laughs> yeah That's good. um mine is i did something crazy for a while which is i tried so obviously working in a library you get to get mm. to learn to do it by genre anyway so mm. my my bookshelves ended up being by genre at home but now it's kind of, um, it's, it's, uh, I tried the color thing, but you're right, it gets very, very mixed up. So mine's yeah. actually a bit like height as well, but not, so it's like hardbacks in one, on one shelf. Yeah. Paperback. So yeah, a bit like you, but I, I'm, I'm more of a hodgepodge. My, my bookshelves are covered in bits and books are stacked in sideways and I have piles of books on the floor. Um, and it, you know, this, this space that you have here is a nightmare because you end up like me yes. amassing less. <laughs> on it which is <laughs> not great when you're dusting <laughs> no no it doesn't help does it you keep knocking them off for one we li- obviously we're doing this uh, as a, a zoom a meeting um, and the electronic world is now very prevalent so i do have to ask in an age of devices does the written word still have a place or how do we make it have a place 
Oh, I, I kind of feel like it, it has even more of a place um, because especially with, with apps and um, kind of uh, social media, you know, like Twitter and Instagram and things, we have to be so careful now about what we say and how we say it and just the idea of praising, of, of shortening, especially mm. with Twitter, like I'm constantly trying to cut stuff down. Like, yeah. can I get this into a tweet? Which is a really lovely practice actually um, and great for writers for kind of honing skills. So I think it has even more of a place and, and we have to be even more sensitive to the written word as we see with the whole kind of fake news and you know, what we see kind of going on in, in politics and the media. Um, I, I think the written word is key. I think it gets muddied because uh, everything is so quick now and we're such a, a scrolling content society um, and things are, are sort of flashed. And so we, what we're missing is that, that depth, that kind of deep look into words and language, yes. which I, I feel is just is a shame because as a poet, like I, I love language and I love finding layers within language and delving deeper. And when I'm writing, I'm always trying to do that to, to reward the careful reader. Um, but so much now is written quickly and written to be consumed quickly that we miss out on, on that. So yeah, I think it's, has, it's very significant, but we need to work harder on, on delving deeper. I have to say from my background, I, I, I equate now as, as, as a really terrifying moment. So one of the books that changed my life, and I'm gonna ask you what books changed your life. So be prepared for that question. One of the books that changed my life was 1984. Oh, yeah. Um, and I read that in my teens. And the whole Newspeak and the whole Newspeak dictionary and reducing the language down to, like, the smallest form to stop people thinking, that really worries me now. It's interesting, isn't it, when you think about kind of, um, like, hashtags and, yeah. and the consequences of, of things, of, of kind of what people say and what, you know, it, we are very, like, rightly so, we're having so many wonderful conversations about kind of the sensitivities of language, which is, mm. you know, very needed. But at the same time, we seem to, we're, we're lacking that ability to delve deep into language and to, and, and to mean what we say and to, and to be able to say what we, what we mean. Yes, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. What book changed your life? What book changed my life? Um, gosh, so many. <laughs> it's, it's an easy guy, is it? Now, I would say one of the books that, or series of books that really saved with me is the kind of Narnia Chronicles. Mm. Just because of the, it was that thing about going into another world, about there being a wardrobe and you could disappear in, into this magical world. So that stuck with me for a long time when I was young, and I would always like watch the watch the films and go mm. and return the books, and always wanted to find my own Narnia. Um, and, and, and then that sort of opened up ideas and thoughts about kind of quantum physics and dimensions and, and just, and magic in the everyday world. Um, so yeah, I have to go with, with Narnia. That's a I good think. choice. I, 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 I <laughs> like that. That's a good choice. That, yeah. Well, that, that, I, I, I wholeheartedly concur with that one. That, that one works well. Yeah. Okay. So the, the Chronicles of Narnia, they're a fantastic read. I always love it when someone discovers them. Because obviously, yeah. you know, when someone discovers them for the first time and you get that, it's like you are in for such a treat. 
it's always yeah. nice when you've got some of those books that you know are going to be passed down and people are going to keep reading them forever so yeah and there's a, a there's a little i feel like a, a there are books like that like like peter pan and the phantom toll booth which all kind of do similar things of sort of opening up these other worlds and have that same impact when people first come across them like oh my god it's amazing because <laughs> because there's just a, a magic about them which yeah is, is wonderful to, to pass on in sort of speaking of magic and, and finding other places obviously with the current situation and in general we've become much more aware of mental health and and, and the importance of our mental health which is always a good thing but yeah. so you said that you used writing and your reading as a way of escaping or, or expressing yourself and your feelings. So how do you feel that you know, reading and writing fits in with looking after our people's mental health? I, th I think it's so important um, because we, I think we all have moments of getting caught up in our thoughts of, um, you know, of, of feeling down, of, of, of having that sort of circular thinking, just going over stuff again and again. And what reading does is it opens up a space. It just kind of wedges into your head. Like I, I always read before going to bed yep. because it just provides a space for me to put down all the ways from the day. And what you often find is once, once you allow that space and you, you allow something else to enter and you are able to travel in another person's shoes or to travel to distant lands, when you come back to your life, the things you were worrying about, nine times out of ten, like, eh, you know, <laughs> get sleep, have a good night's sleep, and the next day, like, oh, okay, did, did it matter that much? And and often, you know, it it doesn't. But we get so wrapped up in the tiniest things, and and I think social media, going back to what, what you were saying before about devices, has a lot to answer for that in, in terms of our the degradation of our mental health because we're constantly looking for likes and worrying if they're not following us or they haven't liked that, or you know, it leads to this downward spiral, which can be very negative. As as wonderful as social media and the internet. You know, there's so many positives, but we have to be very wary of, of the negatives, we, you know, which means we, we never switch off. You know, we, always, we always have access to our email. There's always going to be a ping in our pocket. So the, the more that we can read and just have, have space away from devices, I think, and just with text, be it in a book or e-reader yeah. you know, or audio, however you, however you consume it, um, I think that's really important. I think writing has an equal space there because writing allows us to explore our, our own inner worlds. And that can be to share if we want to or not. It can be purely for us. A lot of the things, like I literally haven't, haven't read through this since I was, gosh, because I, you know, I, I've got a poem in here which says 1998. <laughs> you know, and I find it, you know, so I was 18. And so, I was, you know, I was, clearly I'm working out feelings and uh, emotions and, you know, who I like and stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I, um, and it's, would have been a, it was a very important tool for me then and, and notebooks and writing are still an important tool. I write before going to bed every night. I always keep a little gratitude journal and I write down my thoughts from the day and anything that's been bothering me just to allow that space for something new, something fresh to enter. So would that be your advice to someone who is interested in writing or wants to start writing? Is Keep a notebook with you wherever you go. And that, you know, it could be the notes app on your phone. Yeah. Um, I think pen and paper is good because it's a different, you know, it, it takes you to another space. But I, I write a lot on my phone sometimes if I'm out walking and a poem comes to me and I tend to, to tweet or Instagram the little poems that I'll, I'll write on the go. Um, and have it with you when you go to bed. So pen and pad by the side of the bed because you never know when those ideas are going to hit. 
Um, and, but just having writing as a regular practice helps hone the skill. Writing is like anything else. It's, it's a skill that needs to be honed. And, even, you know, and I'm learning every day. Even I've been writing for, what, 18, 20 odd years now. Um, and I, but I, I, I'm constantly finding, oh, I, I have to hone my skills in that area or that area because you, you get very used to writing in your style or writing in a certain way or writing for, writing for picture books or writing for poetry or writing for middle grade. Whereas if you want to write in different mediums, you need to hone your skills in, in those mediums. So I would say read widely and write widely, kind of challenge yourself to write write different things to write short things to write longer things i do i am so you've mentioned picture books and obviously we have some of your picture books in the library of course oh. we do but, um, <laughs> um so what made you do the jump to picture books was it something that was bubbling away or did you just suddenly get the the moment of inspiration I, i'm curious um i always w wanted to i always wanted to write kind of for children uh, first so the poetry kind of bled into playwriting and I was writing plays um, and, and trying to sort of break the London playwriting scene, which is very hard. <laughs> but I, I had some success doing like plays for the Unicorn and Polka Theatre and Half, Half uh, Moon. So I started working with them. But the big break for me came from writing my own stuff, writing my own material and yeah. producing it and, and performing in it. And then I was, was funny enough, after years trying to get a play on kind of at Polka Theatre, the first time I had a performance there was a show I wrote myself, which I performed in and I'd already put on the road. And then, you know, it's like, oh, cool. I had a couple of dates at Polka, which was like a, a dream come true. Um, so I always had kind of, I always wanted to develop that into children's books. Um, but I got um, contacted uh, by um, uh, Anderson Press, um, who wanted, were well, interested in me doing a, a picture book. And uh, Libby Anderson, uh, Libby Hamilton Anderson had read um, one of my poems. Right, come across my poems. Um, funnily enough, a video I'd done, this is why I'm always telling artists, like, make your own work. Yeah. Because I, I, I think lots of us get stuck in this idea of, like, uh, waiting for someone to give us opportunities. Yeah. Um, but once I learned to make my own work and to put it out there, I started making poetry videos. So I put a poem called If All the World Were Paper. Um, onto YouTube and, and Libby saw that poem and off the back of that invited me in to have a conversation with her about uh, writing a picture book um, and from that Luna Loves Library Day was was born and that opened, totally opened the door to you know writing more picture books and I realised that poetry and picture book texts uh, are very similar in that you're kind of you're in a short space you're trying to get across an idea and a kind of punch um something to kind of hit the families uh in a, in a great way <laughs> in a really lovely way uh, but in the you know in 500 words or less so I, I felt very suited as a writer to to picture books okay and the, the my last question to you um and the one that i find daunting so i, I want some advice oh, yeah. when you're sitting there and you've got something and you've got to start writing and all you've got is the blank screen or the blank page how do you overcome that? <laughs> uh, this is a bane, I think. Of, of, um, what I would suggest is, is don't start, like, write when you have the ideas. Because there's nothing more off-putting than staring at a, a blank, blank page or a blank screen. And I've, I've done it. When I first started out kind of writing professionally, I would just sort of spend all day 
not leaving my computer screen and writing like a sentence. Mm. What I do now is I'll, I'll go out, I'll go for a walk, I'll, I'll read, I'll do something other and allow time and space for the ideas to come. I also give my permission, give myself permission to fail. So mm. you know, when what becomes difficult is, you know, if you have a contract and there's a short time period and you have to write something, you're contracted, like, you know, because it's expected to be out in, you know, sometimes in months time, you know, often you get a year. If you allow yourself to fail, take that editor out of your head and just write. Um, one of the best exercises I ever did was through, through Apples and Snakes, working with, with Jacob Sam LaRose, who's a wonderful poet. And it'd be like a free writing exercise where you just write for five minutes, letting your pen sort of do the walking. And if you don't know what to write, then you write. I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write. And you allow yourself to be totally free and to write gibberish, to scrawl <laughs> until something comes. And you find like a line might come or a word that is used. So for instance, the other day I was working on a, a picture book manuscript and I was, it was quite difficult. It was on quite a, a difficult theme. And I, was, I had lots of false starts. I was writing lots of different versions. Um, and then I went down this road, which was totally wrong for, for the book. <laughs> but I write quite a lot. And it was a bit rhymy and a bit silly. And it, and it totally wouldn't have worked. But there was one line which has gone into the final manuscript, which I've sent off. Right. And I would have got there if I hadn't allowed myself the freedom to write. Like, whilst I was writing, I was thinking, it's not going to be this. <laughs> but I was just having fun. I was like, oh. Oh, I could use that, and I, yeah, I'd, I'd found like a way in, which was fun, but was totally wrong for the book. But one line came out out of five hundred words. One line is what opened up the final yeah. text. It's amazing how something like that that much work can come in, but it's that that key that opens up the rest. That that's really interesting. So I suppose to wrap this up, what can we expect from you next? Well, what a wonderful question. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, so next I've got uh, Zombarella. Right. Well, these are coming out so in order. Yep. This is coming out on the 27th of August, which is my older kind of teen, I uh, call it a, a story told in poems. It's a verse novel, but it's also a poetry collection. Right. And all the illustrations are done by Kate Milner. So that comes out on the 27th of August. And then on the 6th of September, this is my first uh, middle grade novel. Right called Zombirella, Fairy Tales Gone Bad. So it's the story of Cinderella, but she slips on poo and dies <laughs> and is turned by the fairy of death, if I can find her, into, into a zombie. So there she is, being transformed <laughs> to a zombie and then gets revenge on her. Uh, I don't call them, the, they're not the ugly sisters, they're beautiful fake sisters, uh, but she gets revenge on them in the ways that only a zombie can by showing them her brains and her guts. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, what's coming out next. Oh, and then I have another picture book coming out on the uh, 22nd of September, which is the one inspired by the NHS clap. Uh, yep. uh, saying thank you to all the wonderful people who have helped us during these difficult times. So, um, and that's um, illustrated by Sam Usher. Oh, and this is illustrated by Freya Hartas. Brilliant. So very lucky to work with wonderful so illustrators. We've got lots to look forward to then. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> always good, always good. Well, thank you very much for your time, Joseph. Uh, it's been a wonderful to chat to you. Um, hopefully we can get you on again at some point. Yes, please, would love yeah. to. <laughs> right, okay, thank you very much. Well, I hope you enjoyed our interview with Joseph Coilo. 
Joseph's new books, Zombarella and The Girl Who Became a Tree, are out now and can be found at Kent Libraries and anywhere you'd expect to find good books. For more information on Kent Libraries and our digital offer, you can visit our website, kent.gov.uk, or click on the link below. For more information on what we're up to next, you can visit our Facebook page, also linked below. I'm Simon from Kent Libraries. Thank you for watching and goodbye.